So, my name is Jim Wahlberg, and we are here at our very first um, podcast. Uh, I want you to know that we originally were going to name this podcast The Starting Point. But now after hearing Justin Clancy's song for the 50,000th time, we might be changing it to the bottom line. Uh, and I won't dare sing for you um, because we do have a singer in the house and I don't want to embarrass myself. But um, I want to get right into this. So with me tonight here in New Orleans at our eighth Opioid Youth Summit is... Uh, is a guy that I'm a big fan of, a guy that, um, you know, when I was early in recovery and, you know, I've always loved music, but early in recovery, early 90s, um, you know, I had family that was in the music industry, so obviously I was listening to them. But, um, and then I heard Color Me Bad, and not just, like, Color Me Bad, the band, and, no, you know, no disrespect, because everybody's very talented, but my guy had all kind of swag, you know. He had all his own thing going on, and it was it was unrecognizable to a lot of people. Like they were like, "What? What? Where did this guy come from?" And um, so I was always a fan, and you know, when and that's the music I listen to. When I listen to music, when I listen to the radio, because honestly, if I have to be honest, when I listen to the radio, I'm generally listening to Christian music because it's the only thing that really keeps me calm behind the wheel of a car, right? Somebody cuts me off, I start giving them the Boston wave, and there's a whole bunch of fingers missing, you know? Um, but when keeps I listen grounded. to music, when I listen to music, like just listening, I don't, not driving in the car, just sitting and listening to music, it's in the rotation, you know? It's in the rotation with the Jodices and right. everybody else. and. yeah. Um, that's good company. Yeah. And then, so, you know, here's how my life works, right? So I get a call from a friend who knows I'm in recovery and, uh, and knows that I'm actively in recovery, which is really kind of two different things. And, uh, and also knows that I guess that I'm an activist, right? So I'm out there sort of on the front lines. I'm, I'm making films on addiction. We're doing these opioid youth summits. I'm with kids in schools all across the country so I guess that qualifies me as an activist. And um, so he reached out to me and he said, listen, you know, my guy is, is, um, is trying to live a different kind of life. He's trying to move in a different direction. And, and I said, and the guy who called me, you know, he's called me before about other things. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said, oh, yeah, it's Brian Abrams from Calling Me Bad. And I was like, oh, that's my guy. Yeah, yeah, just give my number. And I didn't know if I would hear from you or not. I didn't know what the situation was. And uh, almost right away, I got a call. And uh, I got to tell you, man, I was pleasantly surprised um, to be talking to somebody that was so humble, right? That's just like, you know, it felt very, uh, it felt very comfortable to me. Like, you know, clearly I know a lot of people, whatever. I'm not, I'm, 
I'm not the kind of dude that's going to fan out on somebody or whatever, you know. Um, but it was just very comfortable for me to be speaking to you, especially when it comes to the subject matter, right? When the subject matter is, um, when it is recovery related, um, it don't matter who you are, right? To me, it automatically, it, it levels the playing field, right? discriminate. Yeah, yeah, so you might yeah. be calling me thinking, yo, this guy might be doing this or doing that, or he's where I want to be in that space, right? And, and I'm thinking, yo, this guy, whew, hits, you know, hits that I loved, right? But as soon as we get to this subject, it's like instantly the playing field is leveled. In my life, when I talk about recovery and when I'm talking to another human being about recovery, no matter where they are in their journey, we're on an equal playing field, right? So the only difference between somebody who's new and me is, is just time. That's it, right? Which is a huge thing. It's time, but you know what? The thing is, the most important thing I've learned in my recovery is all about today. What am I doing today? to be of use to others? What am I doing today to be of service? What am I doing today to have a connection with God, right? Because that, for me, no God, no recovery, for me. And I don't speak for everybody, but I'm not gonna not talk about it. This is my show. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? If you you don't wanna hear that, you go listen to somebody else's show. But this is my show, right? And this is my journey, and, uh, and I've been blessed. So, Brother, I want to just say, first of all, that um, it's, been a, it's been a blessing and a pleasure getting to know you. Um, I've been texting with, with, with Brian and his wife for the last couple of days, right? She's, she reminds me of my own wife, right? She's, she's on top cooking. of it all. She's yeah. on top of the details. She's making sure things happen. And, um, you know, when you called me, you were very open and very honest about um, you know, like the end, right? Like, I don't know the whole story, so I'm really looking forward to hearing the whole story, but you, you know, I, I also, obviously, I'm very used to hearing the end, right? Like, this, 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 and hap- this happened, and then I was at the end, and I had nowhere to turn, and I did this. I took, I took this step. I did this. I went to treatment. Whatever it is, um, we talked about that, and... um once that happens, for me, with when I talk to somebody and they open up and they share that kind of that that it's very intimate, right? And it's very private and it's and you have to be very vulnerable to share that that because the end is never pretty, yeah. right? It's just never pretty. Um, but uh, what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is is maybe just share a little bit of your story and so that you know, that people can kind of understand who you are and, and what it was like and what it's like now? Well, for starters, the first thing I wanted to do was be open and honest about everything when I got on the phone with you because once you do that, there's nothing to hide anymore, you know, and it's, it's hard to do. It's very humbling, but at the same time, it, uh, it's a, it, it, it's, it sets you free a little bit, you know. Um, I'm an alcoholic addict. There's alcoholics, addicts on both sides of my family, going way back. You know, my father, he was killed when I was young. I was two. I never even really knew him. 
Um, he had issues with alcohol and addiction. And my grandmother, man, I mean, before she passed, my father's mother, I would come over to see her, and the first thing she would want to do is, you want a lower tab, hon? You don't look mm -hmm. like you don't feel good. Mm. I'm like, sure, Grandma. <laughs> you know, that's my grandma. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, my sister, she drank every day. Awesome person, you know. She passed a couple weeks ago. Um, doctor said she would have, you know, made it through and been able to fight the sepsis that she had if she hadn't already done so much damage to her kidneys and liver. Mm. You know, um, my uncle, my dad's brother, he passed away from colon cancer a few years back. And, it, you know, it goes on and on, man. Um, so that's another reason why I want to be a part of this. I yeah. call it prehab, you know, kind of trying to maybe educate kids like my daughters, man. Right. I want them to know. I don't ever want them to drink. I don't ever want them to take pills. I can't, you know, force, you know, force it on them. But at the same time, I was never educated. If I had known what sure. I did, I probably would have never dibble dabbled in any of that stuff. If I had known that I had a predisposition to it. Sure. How um, old were you when you first sort of started using drinking, even recreationally? You know, socially? started taking sips, man. My mom, or, you know, my stepdad give me sips of the margarita, whiskey, sour, whatever. It was cool to drink. You know, back when we were kids, you know, you could have a six pack in the truck yeah. and be rolling around. And, you know, I was like, this is what you do when you're a grown up. Yeah. But um, when it really became a problem for me, or I guess when it, when it, when it really grabbed hold, you know, I was a big boy. I was 400 pounds my junior year in high school. So people didn't know I was a big dude. And then I ran, lost a bunch of weight, got myself in shape with the guys, moved to New York, got our record deal. So that first song it took off and out of the box, we're having to jump into this club MTV tour. Mm -hmm. So people are seeing this, you know, young dude. Everybody thinks, you know, I, I've got my stuff together. Sure. But inside I'm falling apart because I'm insecure. You know, I'm nervous around crowds. It's all new to me. You know, yeah. I love to sing, love to, you know, loved music growing up, but I wasn't ready for all that right in your face. Sure. And I lost my voice one night. And I was like, what am I going to do for this show? My uh, bus driver's like, let me fix you a hot toddy. So I had, you know, a couple shots of whiskey with some lemon and honey hot tea. Mm. And the guys were like, hey, man, what got into you? That's like the best your vocals ever sounded. And that light went off. Perfect. And I was like, wow. And it took away the jitters and being nervous and all that and insecurities. So I started having a little drink before shows. Mm. You know? And uh, before you know it, you know, I'm doing that every night on tour. Um, and then I kind of got introduced to pills and once that pill thing, like I still didn't think I had an, an, a problem with alcohol, so to speak, but once I was introduced to the opiates, it, it did something to me, you know, because then I'm chasing that, that feeling that I got from that and mixing alcohol with it with just alcohol. So I'm drinking huh. a lot more to try to get that buzz. Um, and so, yeah, I, and we toured for years uh, and drinking before every show and then drinking to come down after the shows or taking, you know what I'm saying? Sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's a business that's like, there's a lot of that going on. So even when you're really not thinking about doing it, it's always in your face. Somebody's offering it to you. Or mm -hmm. whatever, you know? and, and when do you think that it became, in a, if, or even if it ever did, when did it become an issue like with the other guys in the group? Was there a certain point where everybody might have been drinking and doing the thing, but 
not everybody ends up in rehab and falling and their life is falling apart. So yeah. what was that like for you? Right around 97, we had come back from overseas and we had just signed a deal with Sony records and there was a big tour coming up and they knew that I had a problem and I had owned having a problem. You know, sure. I admitted that, Hey, yeah, I think I've got a problem, but they wanted the tour to continue. Management sure. wanted the tour to continue. So instead of getting treatment and going into a facility or just throwing, you know, jumping in both feet, it was like, why don't you uh, see a counselor, you know, a couple times a week and do a little outpatient. I did like an outpatient thing for like a week where I just mm. went up and, you know, hung out in the hospital and took some classes and that was the end sure. of it. You know, so it was like they, I don't know, how can I say this? They knew it was a problem. I knew it was a problem, but they didn't know about the disease, alcoholism, or addiction. So it was just like they wanted it to be a switch you could turn off. They just wanted sure. me to go get fixed. Well, and the other thing is the complicated part of of your situation is is that they also have to eat, right? They, they, exactly. This is their big opportunity also, right? Yeah. Um, to This is what they've worked for all their life, right? Mm-hmm. So the combination of not understanding about addiction and then also wanting to make their paycheck yep, and, exactly. and and meet their contractual obligations yeah. and be a star, right? I mean, everybody yeah. wants to be a star, right? And we can't have and you nobody screwing wants, it up. And, and back then it was like it wasn't cool at all, not that it's ever cool yeah. to be an addict or an alcoholic, sure. but they didn't want anybody knowing. So. Yeah. You know, at times, like when you go into a hotel and you want to say, you know, if there's a mini bar in there, can you take it out? Yeah. Or, you know, I want to put, you know, a card down for incidentals, but just make sure, you know, if I try to order alcohol, you know, just like there's sure. a lot of things. And a couple of the guys were like, you know, keep it down because I wanted to tell, you know. And you, how, how long ago was that? So that was in the, in the 90s. Late 90s. Late yeah. 90s, you yeah. were doing that, right? Late 90s, you were already trying not to drink trying yeah and really with with the with no ability to not drink so i would go weeks to a couple of months without drinking yeah but then i would binge so i went from drinking every night pretty much and halfway being able to control it or so i thought to stopping and then i would binge and then i was it was completely out of control because then when i would pick it up it would go and it would you know two three days and over the years it worked its way up to you know seven day binges man were there times that you were on tour or, you know, supposed to be at a show or doing press or doing a photo shoot or something that you wouldn't show up? That never happened until after 2010. You know, we had kind of gone on hiatus yep. in 98. Mark and I, me, Mark and Kevin, got back together in 2010 for a Hawaii date that I had. Um, and um, I asked them if they wanted to be a part of it. Sure. And so uh, then the drinking, once the group, you know, all that old stuff started coming back, being on the road, you know, the partying and that whole thing, um, it didn't start to affect me like that where I was either showing up for a show drunk or not showing up at all until about 2013, 2013, you know, when I was trying to do shows and I, I will, you know, I'd be drinking for days and so I'd feel sick. 
And so, well, you know this, if you've gone through this, I would have to drink just to be able to perform because I'd have the shakes or be sick, you know, and all, all through this, I'm thinking I'm still hiding it, but I wasn't hiding it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, um, the, how can I say the fame started kind of dwindling you know, you can't stay. It's funny how it does that. You, huh? Yeah, man. You cannot yeah, stay. You get to, you're the biggest thing in the world. And then people are like, who's that? Right. And it's, yeah, yeah I, I got to tell you something. Having been around some moderately famous people in my life. Just a little. Uh, I mean, I watched people in my life. Like I look at like my brother Donnie and the unbelievable career he has now. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, one time, around the same time that you guys were doing your thing, he was doing his thing, and they were the biggest, like, they were doing stadium. They were doing stadiums. They were like 80,000-seat arenas, right? And then it was just over. It was just like people moved on, and they were listening to grunge, right? It was like the whole thing changed. Gangster rap and Yeah, grunge, and then yeah. I watched my little brother have to adjust to real life. Cause he started doing that at such a young age, right? It's, and it's a tough adjustment. It's a tough adjustment. I think, um, to just have to get used to not having some six foot five muscle bound guy walking next to you all the time, because that's how they live their life. They always had security. They always, you know, like, and then you have to sort of become normal again and learn how to and do even everything. Even when you don't have a problem with yeah. it or if he didn't have a problem with it but or he wanted to work has a regular job. Thing. Well, fame is its people, own thing. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, its own, it's its own problem within itself. Yeah. Right? That's an, it's its own addiction and it has its own uh, withdrawals, I would assume. Yeah. Um, so you had some pretty public sort of situations happen in your life. Yeah. And uh, I'll be honest with you, you shared them with me, and I that was the first time I heard about it, yeah. right? And, you know, I think that um, being who I am, having the experiences that I've had, knowing the people that I know, and having the relationships, and also being a person in recovery, um, when you shared some of the stuff that happened to you, it was exciting to me. It wasn't like, oh, man, that's terrible. You poor guy. Like, that was terrible that that happened or that this happened. It was Because I, to me, I know it's it's the music. It's like, this is the beginning of the end. And then the beginning of the beginning. Like, the sky's the limit. The opportunity is there. Yeah, a whole new chapter. And when yeah. it's, when you shine a light on it, right? The thing is, you talked a lot about, you know, people not wanting to know and not, not don't tell them. And, you know, like, we're going to keep this secret because you're living through, like, at that time, you're, you're living for the fan magazines, right? The, the Teeny Papa magazine. So they're creating an image of who you are. Yeah. And they you don't got family. You got friends. Sure. You got people that are, like, counting on you yeah. to keep up a certain, you know, image, I guess. So, you know, you got to, and, it, and it's, a, it's a lot to deal with. Um, when it's a secret, bro, when it's a secret, you're doomed. I mean, when things started to change for me, the first huge thing was my daughter's growing up, mm. getting older, that's tough yeah. because you don't want that to be around them. So I stopped drinking around them, stopped drinking at home and that whole thing, but I was still trying to hide it. What what changed things for me and made me want to start sharing it is fearing for my own life. I mean, we're talking about 
all these musicians and actors and actresses dying left and right, man. In the early 2000s, it's like, you know, I mean, Prince, Michael, yeah. but before then it was, you know, I mean, the list sure. goes on and on. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to wind up being one of those people that they find in a hotel room, mm. you know, drinking myself to death or overdosing or crashing, running myself off of a bridge in a blackout. And I'm just like, there for a while, I didn't even care about myself enough to want to try. So I had to pull from somewhere else. And somebody told me, if you don't care about yourself enough, there's got to be somebody in your life that you care about right. enough to take care of yourself because they're counting on you. And that's where the daughters, that's where my daughters came mm. in. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, they don't deserve this. You know, I, they, they, sure. they deserve a whole lot better. And so does my wife. I put her through a whole lot. Right. And so, family and stuff. So. so you're there at that point where you're looking around and you're seeing. Like, I'm seeing it happen. And if I'm something like, doesn't happen soon. And it's happening behind closed doors. Yeah. And you think these people had their shit together. Yeah. You know, like these people were doing well and they were on top, yeah. making their money, fame, all that stuff. They had everything they wanted, but they were miserable inside. And by the time somebody finds out, it's, it's too late. Right. I'm just so, like, I don't want to be... I don't, I don't want it to end like that. Right. So what what were those sort of the final things? Like uh, you had a couple of things that you shared with me, and I don't know if you want to share them with everyone. I, I, I think they're pretty well-known stuff oh, yeah. when you told me about it. But, I mean, tell me about that stuff. Uh, tell me about just there's a couple of things that were right there at the end that you shared with me that were like major, like there was no hiding anymore. Everybody knows yeah. what's up now. Yeah, I would say the the biggest one was uh, that actually like made social media and the news, sure. TMZ and all that was, you know, uh, I had sprained my ankle. We had a three show run and um, I knew I couldn't go to the emergency room because I didn't want the pain pills yeah. because that could start me. And I, 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 I tried as best I could to, to not get into the drink. And well, anyway, those are all excuses. Sure. I started drinking before a show because I thought, that would help me with the pain. You know, you look for any excuse. Absolutely. You can. Sound check went a little weird. Mark and I kind of bumped heads. And so uh, I left sound check early and I went and started drinking wine. I was like, maybe if I don't drink liquor, I'll just drink wine. It'll be all right. I've so never so, heard that before. Yeah. So I started <laughs> drinking red wine, man. And then the red wine led into me ordering like, you know, a salad from room service with, oh yeah, four double shots of vodka. And then that led into more. And so to yep. make a long story short, I remember security coming to get me for the show. And I was, I was dressed. I thought I was all right. I remember shutting my door. Yeah. I don't remember anything after that. Yeah. And so what happened during that blackout was I went out and I sang part of All for Love, the first song. And then I left the stage. And then I watched Mark perform the show with the other guys that were on the stage. And um, my wife had to tell me this. She's like, you're standing on the side of the stage, pissed, going, are, are you seeing this? Are you seeing, no, I'm on the phone with you. I'm not seeing this. So she knew I was out of it. Yeah. But anyway, um, I went out at the very end of uh, Sex You Up. And right on the last couple of notes, I walked out and just blindsided him from the side and just shoved him across the stage and just... Shoved him across the stage, and I wound up going to jail for that. Wow. And I just remember 
coming to somewhat in jail wondering what I had done. And I had done that before. I'd had mm-hmm. three DUIs in three different counties sure. in 05. I could have ended up in prison yeah. if that was all in one county. Yeah. But three different counties within the same couple of months. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. Um, so I, I had, you know, come to in jail. But after I heard about what happened, um, I remember flying home and just thinking, you know, how am I going to face my family? Mm. You know, what have I done? You know, and and what I remember in the earlier years, I was more worried about the embarrassment of myself. Uh, but this time was different. This time I was worrying about the humiliation my wife was having to deal with, sure. my daughters in school, because, you know, my wife had to tell me it's already made TMZ. And I'm just like what have I done, man? You know, you never think it can get any worse and it can, it gets worse and it continues to get worse. So I just, there was just something about that, you know, and I tried to pick myself up and get sober. Uh, Mark and I still don't speak. We're actually in the middle of a lawsuit right now, Uh, but that's a whole other thing. Mm. um, Fighting over the trademark. Um, But um, it just, Something changed, and uh, my wife asked me there was an opportunity to do Dr. Phil, and so um, I decided, you know what, I'm tired of hiding it. I haven't been able to hide it. Now this whole shoving Mark thing is out for social media and all Mm -hmm. over the news and papers and whatever, and I'm like, that's not who I am. That's I cannot let that define who I am. When I, I cook at home... I take my girls to the movies. We spend time together. I'm a dad. I'm sure. I'm a father when I'm yeah. at home. I don't drink every day. This is not who I am. But when those sort of things, those little tidbits in your life overshadow all the good, you know, it's like there comes a time when it's like you just, I, I, I got to stop the cycle because if sure. I don't, my daughters are going to grow up miserable. My wife's going to be miserable. And then what are they going to do? Are they going to follow in my footsteps mm. and continue like I did in my father's footsteps? You know, so... I had to just, I figured if I went on Dr. Phil, you know, my wife's like, don't lose it. Don't, don't. It's like, I'm not going on this show to be in denial or make up stories or tell lies and make excuses. I'm going on this show to own everything that I've done. I have to own it. You know, I have to. And if I own it and I do it in front of the public eye, then maybe I'll feel even more so that there's nothing left to hide. Mm. And maybe I'll inspire somebody. I don't know. I always wanted to help people, yep. but I always knew I had to help myself first. And I'm like, how can you help anybody, man, when you can't even help yourself?